Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you here, and for those of you joining us online, we're glad to have you. Today I'm excited because I often get a lot of questions, uh, or I feel like as being a minister in class, a lot of times things come up of, of, can we talk more about prayer? You know, whether we have a hard time understanding prayer or whether we have a hard time uh, wondering, you know, what is it supposed to look like? How are we supposed to pray? How does God respond to it? And today I'm excited because I'm not going to answer those questions, but I am going to be able to give, in my opinion, a little bit of insight and thought into a, a beautiful prayer that Paul has for this church in this, this people, the Colossians. And his prayer for them, I think, will give us a lot of insight into ways that we can pray for people, ways that we can pray for ourselves also. Uh, here, I mentioned last week, Paul is in prison. And he, is, uh, he has his co-worker, Epiphras, who said, I've, started, I've, I've planted this church in Colossae, and I'm wanting to, they're going through some difficult things, and I need your help. Could you write to them? And I'm sure you would imagine if you were Paul, you would think, I'm in a pretty helpless spot. I'm stuck here in prison. But what we know that I think is pretty beautiful is that for Paul, he does not feel like he is in a helpless place because he knows he can do two things. He can write a letter, and he can pray for them. And no matter what the world will try and convince you that prayer has no ability to influence. We see here from Paul, Paul really does think that he has an ability to influence and help this congregation through the power of praying for them. And so let's read together from Colossians 1. And we're going to read this prayer. Normally it's pretty common in Paul's letters where he'll say hello and then he'll say something like that he's thankful for this congregation and then he'll say kind of a word of prayer. And usually in that prayer he kind of gives some hints about what he's going to talk about throughout the whole letter. So this is pretty important as far as giving us what you could call maybe a thesis for the rest of the letter. By the way, whenever he's really upset with the church, he keeps the thanksgiving and the prayer section really short. So if you read Galatians, when you read Galatians and Paul's pretty upset, he's like, it's good to see y'all. <laughs> he just kind of gives a little short. But here, uh, he's pretty pleased with this church. So we have this long thanksgiving that we read last week, and now this prayer for this church. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have, with, you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we have this, this beautiful prayer, and in my opinion, it's, it's all one prayer. It all flows together, but in my mind, it helps me, and I think it's going to help us to talk about it, where we kind of look at three sections of the prayer. Like I said, don't forget, this is all one prayer, but it's kind of, I see three kind of lines in the areas of, of flow of this prayer. And the first one that we see is where pro Paul begins, and you can, you know, if you're following along, but you can see I've highlighted it. When Paul says, I, I, we haven't stopped praying for you, the thing that he says he is praying for is that they may be filled, let's see, where is it? That God will fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. This is the crux of the prayer, that you may be filled with the knowledge and wisdom that comes from the Spirit. 
Paul prays that God will fill the Colossians with the knowledge of God's will through spiritual wisdom and discernment of every sort. I'm sure you're sitting here thinking, hmm, that sounds pretty complex or that kind of sounds fancy. And one thing that we have to remember, this is going to come up more later, I just want to hint at it. One of the problems that the Colossian church is facing is that there are people that have come into the church and are telling the Christians that, well, yeah, you know Jesus, but if you want to be really spiritual, if you really want to reach this level of being a real spiritual person, you've got to follow these practices or you've got to know these things to get to these spiritual depths. And for Paul, this is a big problem. And we're going to see this because for Paul, it begins with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. And if you have Jesus in your life, that is, that is the apex of being a disciple. There is no, well, if you really know things. And so when you see him saying, I pray that you may be filled with all the spiritual wisdom, I think you can imagine the Colossian church, Colossian church being like, oh, here we go. This is what we've been hearing about. You know, we've been hearing about this special wisdom that if we really want to be spiritually elite, we got to know this stuff. And what Paul is going to say is, by the way, that spiritual wisdom that I want you to be filled with, it's about Jesus Christ being the king of the world. And we're going to read that next week in his poem of how Christ is Lord of all creation. Okay, so let me keep reading. The knowledge that Paul has in view has nothing to do with some secret lore reserved only for the elite or some hidden key that unlocks the mysteries of the universe or of the inner person. This is what some people that are corrupting the church are, are, are teaching. For Paul, understanding God's will revol involves recognizing how Christ is the fulfillment of God's redemptive purposes, how God's salvation is open to all people, and how God intends for Christians to live in whatever situation they find themselves as Christ would want them to. We're going to see that at work throughout the rest of the letter. So in the Old Testament, there are three books that are called the wisdom literature. Proverbs is the most popular. Then you have Ecclesiastes, which is far less popular. And then you have Job, which is the least popular. But all three of these are wisdom literature. And part of the idea that someday I actually have it on the schedule, I think either in the fall or next year, I'm preaching a series on those three books kind of together in conversation with each other. Because the Old Testament, the Jewish people, knew that they were supposed to read Proverbs in conversation with Ecclesiastes, in conversation with Job. Because the question that's being asked is, what is the good life? What is the life that God has intended for us? And the idea is that there is a thread that flows throughout this life where if you are a wise person, you can join in that thread of, of wisdom that God has created from the beginning. But the key that I think is so important to those books and us understanding is that when we see the word wisdom and knowledge in the Bible, we often think of our version of wisdom and our version of knowledge, which is to be book smart, which is to be brainy, which is to know little facts and details. The capital of this state is this. That's what we think of when we think of wisdom and knowledge. In the Bible, and this is as succinctly as I can say it, wisdom in the Bible is not about what you know academically. Wisdom is more about what you prioritize and how that shapes your life. You could be the smartest person in the world, and if you don't prioritize Jesus Christ in your life, the Bible would say you are a fool. You could be the dumbest person in the world and know literally nothing, but if Jesus Christ is the center of your life and following and fearing God is the center of life, in the Bible, you are wise beyond your years. Does that make sense? So when Paul says this here, that he is praying that they may have wisdom, the key thing, the key word I want you to, to hold on to is I want you to hold on to the idea that wisdom is about prioritizing God in your life. A wise person prioritizes him. Steve's uh, verse that he read to welcome us, I had to write it down because it's perfect. He read from Jeremiah. 
You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. A person who seeks God is a wise person, a person that is filled with knowledge. So Paul's first prayer is for us to have wisdom and to prioritize God because that will lead to a new way of living and a new way of life, which, as we see here in verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. So now the second section I want to talk about, Paul writes four examples of ways that we can please God. The first one he lists starts uh, after the colon. says, So you can live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and four, giving joyful thanks to the Lord. So I don't want to get into the weeds on all four of these things, but I, what I want, do want to do is I want to think about how Paul tells us that whenever you live this way, you are pleasing God. And I think for, for many of us, and, and wait, before I talk about pleasing God, I first want to say, do not confuse pleasing God with earning your salvation. It's not the same thing. It's not, well, God's upset, and if I please him, then he'll like me and he'll let me go to heaven. But what I think is so important about this idea, and it's something that when I was reading, I thought was really cool because this isn't something I struggle with, but it's something that many Christians do. When you think about God up in heaven, do you picture him as a grumpy old man who can't wait to watch you fall, who can't wait to watch you screw up? Because whether that's your experience or not, many people throughout Christian history have seen that as God, that God can't wait. He's, he's like Santa Claus. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been good or bad, and you better watch out because you better be good for goodness sake because he's going to check you off or on his list. People grew up with that image of God that God just couldn't wait to watch. Well, are you going to fall? Or, oh, they did it. Uh, well, there goes another one. You get this idea that that's how some people view God. And here Paul tells us that couldn't be further from the truth. God is up in heaven and he can't wait to see us do things that bring him joy and bring him pleasure. Um, Landry Joe's in a phase right now where she really likes to sing. And uh, recently her, her favorite song was Holy, Holy, Holy. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That song. And she loved the cherubim verse. Cherubim and seraphim. She loved that verse. She wanted to sing it all the time. And I remember we were at the elder retreat, and we, every time we had a little singing time, we had to sing Holy, Holy, Holy. And one thing Josie would say a lot is Josie would say, don't you just know God is up in heaven smiling whenever he hears Landry Joe sing? Because we have a God who delights in his children living the way that we were designed to live. Don't you know that whenever we had a singing night a few weeks ago to test out the microphones, and we were like, all right, is everybody done leading singing? And Deacon Williams said, I'd like to sing a song. And Deacon came up here and led a song. God smiled and was pleased with that. Don't you know that whenever Vicki Gloff chooses to take food to someone and deliver food at their house during her lunch break, you know that God is smiling and God is pleased. You know that when Terry Wells takes food, or whenever she coordinates a shower and a meal for someone, whether it's a wedding shower or it's the meal after a funeral, God is smiling and he is delighting in her. When any of us choose to do something because of our new birth into this new kingdom, especially whenever it runs counter to the kingdoms of this world, when we do that and we bear the image of God and live how he designed us to live, he designed us from the beginning to live, God is pleased. And so these four things, I don't think Paul, yeah, I think Paul probably took some time to think about all four of these things, but I think what he's more saying is 
All of these things are signs that you are living as a new creation. You are living as an image bearer that God made for, for you to be from the beginning. And when you do that, God is incredibly pleased with you. When you have wisdom, the first part, and you know God and you prioritize God through the, the wisdom that comes from the Spirit, it changes the way you live. And a changed life is a life that is pleasing to God. And the, the fourth sign of that is about being a thankful person. And now Paul is going to talk about three reasons why we should be thankful. And starting in verse 12, he says, the, the fourth sign, you know, fourth example of, of pleasing God is by giving joyful thanks to the Father. And here are three reasons why you should be thankful. You should be thankful because He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. Second, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And third, in Jesus Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The first, the first reason to be thankful is pretty simple. We have a God who, he's the one that does the qualifying for us to be a part of this kingdom. He's done everything that needed to happen for you to get to be a part of the kingdom. It wasn't because of your working hard. It wasn't because you went to every Wednesday night that the church doors were open when you were a kid. That's not the reason why we get to be redeemed and saved. We get to be redeemed and saved because of what God did through Jesus Christ. That's the first reason to be thankful. The second reason to be thankful, I think, is kind of more fun to talk about, more exciting. Because he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Part of the imagery that you're supposed to see here is it was very common back then that whenever people were conquered by another nation, the king would take them and say, you have to come live in Babylon, you have to come live in this other place, and you are now slaves there, or you are now uh, basically hostages for the rest of your life, so that if ever, if ever the new king or the new kingdom wants to kind of start stirring up trouble, we'll just slaughter all your people that live here. And so this image is very real for people back, back then. These are people living under Roman authority, where it's very common for Rome to go conquer a country and then say, all right, y'all are Romans now, and all your people, we're going to have some of you that are hostages. Some, you, see, you see the imagery I'm talking about? What Paul is saying is that through Jesus Christ, God came into your life and he conquered the enemy. He conquered the kingdoms of darkness that are keeping you at bay and hostage. And he rescued you back into his kingdom. And you are with him now. And I just can't think of many better images to imagine that when you are living a life that doesn't know Jesus, when you are living a life in darkness and sin, the image that Paul gives us here is that we are so thankful for what Christ did because he came into your life and he defeated the powers of darkness and he has rescued you from that. And I just can't imagine someone not wanting to be a part of that and not being thankful for that. And so the third reason to be thankful, third reason to be thankful is that, oh, let me go back, is that God has redeemed us and forgiven us of our sins. What Paul most wants to see in this growing church as a sign of healthy Christian life, that the, that the young congregation is growing on their way to maturity, is gratitude to God for the extraordinary things that he's done in Jesus, the remarkable things that he is continuing to do in the world and in their lives. So I kind of want to summarize uh, something that I think is important. Remember I said these are all three sections, but I believe they all kind of go together. And I think Paul's prayer, it offers a pattern for us on how we can pray for people today. How many of you know people in your life that you would really love it if they took their faith and their relationship with Jesus to another level? And I'm not saying another level like they're not going to heaven and now they are going to heaven or they're not important and now... But you know what I mean whenever you can tell someone is just missing out on just, I really wish your life was starting to reflect more that you're a new person, that you didn't just go under the water and you're like, oh, 
I'm good now. This doesn't, nothing's really changed, but I guess I'm good now. But you know, you have those people in your life. You're like, I really want you to, to, to get in, buy in more, join more. And Paul offers us a prayer for those people, a prayer for how we can follow this pattern because he's saying, I want so badly for this young church to go from, well, you know, we're, we've joined this Jesus movement to growing and maturing and being more and more what God designed for us. And if, if I'm being honest, this prayer is really applicable for me because even though I'm the preacher, even though I'm, you know, supposed to be, you know, the one that probably does this kingdom living as well as anybody, I know I need this prayer all the time. Can't tell you how many times I need to be reminded and have people praying for me that I might grow in my maturity, that I might grow in my understanding and my endurance and my patience and my thankfulness. And so what I love is I believe that Paul's prayer, even though it kind of, he goes in order, I think it forms a pretty cool circle. I believe that Paul is praying for wisdom. And as we said before, that wisdom is making God a priority in your life. And when God is the, the king of your life, because you are a part of a new kingdom, then that leads you to living a different way, a new life. And whenever you live a new life and a new way, that pleases God so much. And one of the signs of pleasing God is that we're being thankful. We're so thankful for what he's done through Jesus Christ. We're thankful that he's redeemed us. We're thankful that he's brought us into a new kingdom with a new way of living. And for me, these two connect because what is it usually that makes me prioritize God more and more in my life? It's when I'm really thankful for, for what he's done. How do I gain more wisdom and knowledge about wanting to prioritize God at the center of my life, it's usually when I recognize just how darn thankful I am for what he's done for me, just how thankful I am for the fact that I was lost and now I'm found. I was a hostage to sin and now I've been rescued by him. Here's a, I really like this theologian, his name's Dallas Willard, and here's a quote that I, I wanted to read to y'all that I think connects with our sermon. He says, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians, whether they will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens in every, into every corner of human existence. What Paul is praying for this church in Colossae is he's saying, I just pray that y'all go from saying, I believe in Jesus, which you do, to really putting this into practice in your life, really making it a part of everything you do, not letting any corner of your life not be given over to this new part and this new kingdom. And we're going to see that in Colossians later in the letter. A continual theme is this is how you used to live. Now you know Jesus. This is how you have to live now. Now that we are a part of this new kingdom, the kingdom of God. So Paul's prayer is that we would mature that we would deepen our discipleship and become more of the people God created us to be, become more devout followers of the king in his new kingdom that he has captured us, captured us into. But I have very good news. Before you hear me saying that this is a sermon about us doing anything, we have really good news. Even if someone sitting here or someone watching online, even if all they do is say, I want to know Jesus, and they choose to give their life to him, and they don't do anything else, we have a Savior who has guaranteed that we are a part of his redemption process. We have a Savior who has rescued us. And so, on one hand, I hope you hear me saying, I hope you grow more and more in your desire to follow God and your discipleship. And on the other hand, I have to make sure you know that that has nothing to do with whether you're going to be saved or not. Because Jesus Christ has already redeemed you, already rescued you, already forgiven you of your sins. We can never forget those two. So if any of you would like to learn more about what this looks like, if any of you would like... If you're someone that's listening and, and you didn't realize how, just how thankful, just how 
You might be stuck in a life that you've never called the dominion of darkness. But the more you think about it, you're thinking, yeah, where I'm going, I can't see the light. Where I'm headed, I feel lost. I want you to know that there's a Savior who died to rescue from that kingdom. And if you'd like to know more about him, I'd encourage you to come as we stand and sing. And if any of you would have any prayers, we're going to have elders standing at the doors while we sing this.